All right, guys, welcome to my show, Voice of the Wanderer. I'm your host, Freddie J. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Uh, you're welcome to this episode of my podcast today, Voice of the Wanderer. And uh, today we're talking much about we're talking more about the education system in America. Uh, we might hit some few states, maybe like Idaho, uh, along the line. But uh, that's our focus today. And uh, you guys know me already. Uh, I'm your host, Freddie J, and uh, I'm excited. Uh, this is Dr. Njoku, and uh, please could you introduce yourself uh, so we get to know you better? Yeah, let me start by saying thank you for having me. Uh, to this podcast. Uh, my name is Rafael Tijokenjoko. I'm a professor at Idaho State University. I teach in the Department of History and the Department of Global Studies and Languages. Nice. Uh, I didn't know his name was Chijoke until today, so uh, what's, what's the meaning of that? Uh, Chijoke means uh, God is the creator. So God is the creator. creator. God, yes. That's a powerful name. It is powerful. Uh, and uh, I would like to acknowledge my buddy behind the camera, uh, Lloyd. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. And uh, as Lloyd told uh, told you before before we, we started the podcast, he mentioned your name meant something in Cameroon. Is it big elephant? You know. So <laughs> so this is big Doctor Unjoku. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for those who didn't know already, uh, I majored in global studies uh, at Idaho State University, and uh, he was the department chair at that time. Uh, I think he just recently stepped down, and uh, he's been a huge source of so, uh, source of inspiration for me, and uh, I've loved working with you, sir. And uh, I think that's why you're the first person I talked about when I talked about education and my podcast. You know, and uh, I'm very grateful for finding the time to do this with us today. Thank you very much. You know, as I have told you several times, uh, I really admire your spirit of creativity, your hard work. Everything you have done to improve yourself academically and otherwise, I think is very ins- inspirational and should serve as a role model to other students. Yeah, thank you very much, sir, for the kind words. So uh, I would like us to take a deep dive uh, into, your, uh, into your life. I mean, whatever you're comfortable sharing with us. Uh, I think for the viewers out there, they would like to know about how you got here uh, because... Uh, from what I'm tracking, you're Nigerian, and uh, we're in Idaho right now uh, in America. And um, I know most people want to know your journey. They want to know your career, uh, what you had to do to get here, what's your position right now. Could you share more lights in depth about that, please? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very interesting question and a long story, but I'm going to cut it short as much as possible. Yes, I came from Nigeria, precisely. Imo State. I was born in a very large family of 11. My father owned a private school, so essentially he was a teacher. And um, I'm the la- second to the last in the family of 11. So you can see that I'm little or no person in my family. So I have elder brothers, elder sisters, nearly all of them were older than me. Um, but this is the interesting thing about my journey. So, um, I was born a few months before the start of the Nigerian Civil War. Wow. Yeah, and then the war turned lives upside down. Uh, everybody ran in different directions. At the end of the war, people had to go back 
to the townships and uh, rediscover their lives. So my parents went back to the township where my father owned the school. Uh, the school buildings were destroyed completely, so he had to start life afresh. But, you know, as young as I was then, my preference was to stay back in the village. So I had to stay with grandmom, and I grew up in the village. Um, reflecting back today, I think it was a good choice I made, because whatever I have today, the way I walk, the thought process, I think it came from the village. So I had my primary education in the village, um, had my secondary education at Holy Ghost College, Uwere, which was then and the premier um, high school in the whole of Fimo State. Everybody wanted to go there. It was a, a place for um, children from rich families. I'm not claiming I was from a rich family, but I got to Holy Ghost College because of my achievement, academic achievement. And then after Holy Ghost College, I still want to stay close to home. I attended my um, NCE, National Certificate in Education, because I wanted to be a teacher. In those days, you cannot teach in any of the Nigerian institutions unless you have a, a certificate in education. So I wanted to get that. Um, after that, I applied to get my BEDBA degree, specializing in history and then education. Actually, it was a double major in education and wow. history. I got that from the University of Nigeria in Soka. Um, then um, in Nigeria, I think we still do it now. You have to serve for one year. NYAC. NYAC, <laughs> which means National Youth Service Corps Program. So I served um, at um, Idaho as a college in Benin City. BIU. Yeah, Word of Faith. No, Word of Faith College. So okay. Again, it was a, another experience for me. Provided me with the opportunity to meet the great Ben, you know, Pastor Benson in the house face to face, extremely brilliant man. Um, I was blessed to meet him, very generous man. Um, at the end of my service year, which was for one year, I applied for, interviewed and got the Rose Scholarship to go to Oxford University to Wow. Study for my MA degree. You went to Oxford? I didn't use the scholarship. So that's one of those uh, benchmarks in my life. I didn't use it because the military government in Nigeria annulled the June 12th election. Oh. Yes, which was won by Abiola. Abiola, Moshul Abiola, the great Moshul Abiola. So after that, the international community um, placed all kinds of sanctions on Nigeria. It was like hell went, went loose. And then, um, so I couldn't use the scholarship because of, you know, the sanctions. But I was, um, at that point, I realized that I had to leave the country if I were to realize my uh, life ambitions, being a college professor. So I went to Belgium, um, where I got my master's and in European politics, cultures, and societies. Wow. Yeah. Um, then um, proceeded to my PhD program in political science, specializing in comparative politics, especially democratization, of course with bias in African politics. So but I want to add that that program at Free University 
Brazos was the best program, the best education I have ever had in my life. All the professors were just unbelievable, excellent researchers, excellent writers. I learned a lot from them. Was I in Belgium? Belgium, the free university okay. in Brussels, Belgium. Okay. Yeah. From there, um, but you know, you might wonder why I got a PhD degree in political science and then turn back, return back to history. So this is the story. So if you remember well, in Nigeria in the 90s, history was dead. Yeah. But if you studied political science, you are always sure to get a job in yeah. the teaching profession. So my aim was to get a job in the universities. And I originally planned to get a degree, come back to Nigeria, continue uh, my academic profession um, in one of the Nigerian universities. So, but something happened. In 1998, I went to George Mason University for a conference. And that was when I was still you know, completing my PhD program in political science. So I met this professor who said, oh, what are you doing for your PhD? So I said, political science. He said, hmm, do you want to go back to Nigeria after your graduation or do you want to work in North America? I said, yeah, if the opportunity comes, why not? I will work in North America. And then he said, oh, then I will advise you get a, your PhD in, in history. I said, why? Why do you think I won't get something in political science? Okay, let him just give me an example. He said, go to University of Toronto. In Canada. In Canada. Say, University of Toronto is the largest political science department in the world. And they produce an average of 20 PhDs per year. Wow. But you don't have more than five PhD political science jobs in Canada. So, in essence, what he's trying to let me know is that the market for political science is saturated. Yeah. But that if I go to African history, that's what people were interested in here in North America. So I went back home to home then, Belgium, thought about it, but I've already gone for my PhD in political science. So I decided to complete that and then jump over to another PhD in, in, his, in history, specializing in African history. And I got that from Dalhousie University in Canada. Again, excellent education. Then, African History Program and Dalhousie University was the, one of the best in the world. So, and the library was phenomenal. Huge library. A $30 million library. I saw books I have never seen before in my life. And I pursued to read them with all devotion. Graduated in 2003, applied for jobs everywhere in North America, particularly the U.S. Got 13 interviews, interview three. By the time I got home on my interview, journey from three universities, I got a job in African history and African studies at Vessel of Louisville, Kentucky. Spent nine years there. Got this uh, job here to direct the International Studies program at Idaho State University. And that's how my journey began. And I've been here for 11 years now. I'm very happy to be here. Very wonderful place, good people, nice place to raise kids. Uh, when I came here, I was carrying my last son, who was then, um, I think, uh, four years. And I would carry him on my left hand and carry my daughter 
who was then six years on my right hand. Now they have grown. I can't even lift any of them up anymore. <laughs> and I have aged as well. So <laughs> this is my life journey. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, that was very interesting. Uh, I think I just learned a lot about you. I, I never knew about all these things, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sorry about the Oxford uh, opportunity you couldn't take. I, I got so excited when you mentioned that. <laughs> I was like, so you went to Oxford? <laughs> I didn't, unfortunately, yeah. But, you know, um, when one window closes, another opens. Yeah, that's true. In Belgium, I, I'm happy to say that God opened a whole lot of opportunities for me. I got an um, exceptional scholarship directly from the Minister of Education on the recommendations of my professor. So that made life a lot more easy. You know, a scholarship equivalent to Rose Scholarship, or if not more than that. That's nice. Yes. That's, that's pretty awesome. So we're going to transition into uh, the education system in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that you mentioned Belgium as uh, it seems like you had a great time over there. I did. And you, in your opinion, you think you had the best education Absolutely. over there. So we're going to do a little bit of compare and contrast mm-hmm. to see the differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, uh, I was born in Nigeria also. And uh, I was looking for greener pastures, like my people like to call it, our people like to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I left Nigeria to come to America to come get a higher education. And uh, I have always had the ideology that the education system in America is unbeatable and is the best. I mean, in my own mind, it was better than where I was coming from, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, so, but living here for a while now, uh, I've seen a lot of pitfalls and loopholes and some other things in the education system that I think is worth discussing, some issues. Uh, because I feel like uh, when we don't say something, there's not the chance of getting getting it right is is depreciating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's worth discussing. So, but first of all, though, uh, let's do a little bit of uh, comparison. So, mm-hmm. America education and the education in Belgium. What are the differences in your own opinion? So, um, let me start by saying that the kind of education you have in any country is. Um, uh, dependent on the needs of the country yeah. and uh, the amount of money, the amount of funds, the government channel towards education and the number of people who are looking for education. So Belgium is a small country. Yeah, when I was there, you're looking at 11 million people. Um, the government puts a lot of money into education. It's just mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Like, l- let me just give you an, an example. For my program, my master's program, so um, I was the first African to complete the master's program. They are the first to enroll and complete. But Is this in Belgium? In Belgium, wow. yes. Yeah, the master's program in European politics, cultures, and societies. Okay. And I found out that different European countries, EU countries, they send students to the, the same program then. And all these students come with scholarship, scholarships. And I met American students there also, at least two of them. But the point I want to make is that the government, even though students come with funding, the government was spending for each of us enrolled in that program. 500,000 Belgian francs. So the exchange rate then was 
40 Belgian francs to one dollar. So if you divide 500,000 by 40,000, you can see how much yeah. the government budgeted for each student. And that's why I started by saying that it was top quality education. It was free education? Free education, top quality. Wow. Is it still free right now? No, it's not free. I'm not saying it's free, but the, um, what I want to emphasize is that the tuition wasn't as high as okay. we have here. Okay. But the government subsidized the rest. So they budgeted this 500,000 Belgian franc for each student. And what do they use the money for? So you look at the syllabus. If there is any topic on Iranian politics, they will bring a professor from Iran to teach that topic. Yeah. If there is any topic of discussion on Russian politics, yeah. they will bring, fly down a Russian professor to give you that Russian experience. So that was what made it fantastic. Now, I don't know whether the same amount of expenditure happens in other public universities in Belgium, but I'm talking about my own experience. Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to mention before I compare that with the U.S. is that in those days, now, so you're looking at about 22 years ago, I'm talking about 24 years ago, if you came to Belgium to pursue an engineering degree or medical degree, fantastic. But most likely, you're not going to get a job because they have so many engineers, they have so many doctors. You see what I mean? Yeah. So they're already saturated with educated people in those fields. Now you come to the U.S. Now, U.S. has been one of the leaders of education in the world. And when, you, when I talk about sure. education, I mean top quality education. Look at Harvard, look at Princeton, Yale, and University of Texas, New York University, everywhere. And of course, um, 10 million people in Belgium and nearly 300 million people in the U.S. It's not the same. So the pool of people looking for education here in the U.S. is small. And we have more institutions and colleges here. And the government spend more than Belgium. So Belgium is little, a lot more manageable. Here, um, the population of people looking for education is a lot more. But then um, the problem is that the government is not putting enough money into education. And that has caused a lot of issues. Um, so one of them is that some of the best professors go to the Ivy Leagues because that's where you have the money. Uh, of course, it's not only the Ivy Leagues that have money, but there are other places. So what I'm suggesting here is that when it comes to this state-run universities, state-owned universities. There's not enough pool of money to fund every program and to pay faculty members and staff enough uh, to bring out the best in them or even to attract some of the best um, uh, faculty in the world.
Okay. So, yeah. So I think, for me, that's one of the basic issues. Yeah. So uh, it kind of caught my attention, though, because uh, I know uh, in America we have the most bogus budget for the military. Uh, I'm just I'm surprised that we don't spend that much money for education. I mean, in the whole world, uh, America is known for our military strength mm -hmm. because of how much uh, budget Congress puts for the military. Mm -hmm. uh, so it kind of blows my mind away. I, I'm trying to figure out why I'm wondering. I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out why it's like this. Because uh, America is a beacon to the whole world mm -hmm. for a lot of things. Yeah. That's why many people try to emigrate. People like me also to come to America to to pursue the American dream. Yes. I will, I will say two things about that. So one, um, concerning education and funding of education. Yeah, um, the cost of education is, um, in America is a little, a little off the line. Um, I think uh, we can do a better job, make education more affordable to students, uh, make sure that students don't graduate with um, no, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of uh, education loan they have to yeah. pay back, especially those of them in the medical field and the engineering field and computer field. So that's one thing I, I want to say about that, so we can do a lot better. But when it comes to military budget, you know, um, yes, it's a lot. There could be, again, better management so that some of those uh, funding will go to education, absolutely. Okay. But I also understand why Congress put a lot of money into the military. Uh, look at how the world is going. In, in the past 10 years, 20 years, there has been a lot of changes around the world. Geopolitically, China, Russia, and other um, you know, enemies of uh, the United States are trying to sabotage security. Okay. of people here. Uh, so you can see the reason why they put so much money into military budget so that the United States can maintain their military strength. And don't forget, um, without the military strength, other things will not hold in the U.S. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, uh, I was doing my research yesterday. Uh, I looked at ISU, the enrollment uh, numbers, and the amount of people who graduate, actually graduate from ISU mm -hmm. and some other schools around uh, these areas. Mm -hmm. uh, for ISU specifically, I mean, uh, in the last uh, semester or few months, uh, the numbers have improved. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, your opinion, like, what do you think? Most people enroll into college, they want to go to school. Mm -hmm. They do like one or two semesters or half a semester and they are out. Uh, what do you think are some of these reasons? Is it that the educational system or the education system offered uh, in America is not effective, it's not catchy enough, or is, is education not important? Very good question. So um, I'm speaking from how I see the issue. Yeah. So I think, one, America is so buoyant. True. There are so many opportunities. You can imagine living in different countries, I'm talking from experience. So what I'm implying is that if you're an American kid, yes, if you get a university college education, it kind of opens more opportunities for you. 
but you can also live comfortably without a college degree because there are so many opportunities. Some of them go into business, some of them pursue vocational studies, welding, um, mechanic, car repairs, and by the time you know it, they are very comfortable. They build wealth. And if you look at uh, some of the richest people in the U.S., many of them were um, college dropouts. They sure. didn't even get a degree. <laughs> so primarily, that is the problem. That is the, that is the thing. That mm. is one, one huge factor. So that's what I will say. But some people misunderstand that dynamic to mean that um, college degrees don't work the problem. No, it's not really that. It's because there are alternatives for people to pursue without college education. Now, if you watch when there are less jobs available, people go back to school to improve themselves and show up their marketability. But when everything is okay and there are so many jobs everywhere, it, the students tend to drop out because they could earn you know, decent living, um, not getting the college degree. That's true, that's true. Yeah, I was interviewing someone a while ago and uh, he built a career for himself in the military. He never went to college. I mean, uh, Elon Musk, mm-hmm. I don't think he went to college. Okay. Uh, the owner of Tesla. Mm-hmm. And the guy who founded Apple also, he went to college for one semester mm-hmm. and he dropped out. You know, so uh, I think you, you have a point there. Uh, I would like us to go more in depth also. Uh, I was reading an article uh, a while ago about uh, how uh, a governor was trying to pull funding from the educational system in that state uh, just because he thought they were the, the teachers or the faculty was wasting time teaching these students about other countries, like geography, like Africa. And uh, he, he caught my attention because uh, when I came to America, uh, I saw people ask me some questions, some disturbing questions. Mm-hmm. Questions like, example, do you have a fridge in Africa? <laughs> they think Africa is a country. Mm-hmm. But Africa is a continent, and I'm from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. They asked me also, oh, do you guys have aeroplanes? Oh, I told them, I, I don't think so. I just use a leaf. I step on the leaf, and I just flow with it to America. Mm-hmm. You know, or they ask you, oh, do you have electricity? Do you have traffic lights? And... When, you, when, when people think of Africa in America, all they can think about is a, a starving child. Mm-hmm. A child who has a, what do you call that, this is Kwashoko, where there's no food. And they, I, can, I help them understand that I lived a good life in Africa, uh, more than an, the average man in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I kind of started brainstorming and I came to understand that part of that fault is coming from the education system. It means these children in high school, middle school, they are not being taught about the international community. Uh, and it, it made more sense to me because that governor was trying to pull out funds because of that. Mm-hmm. So my question is, is, is it more important to learn about other dimensions or other countries, other people? Because uh, that way it makes people in America ignorant and naive if they don't know about these people. I was walking down the street the other day and I saw this kid, uh, this little girl in a school bus. She waved at me and I waved back and she was so excited. You know, and I told my friend, I was like, that kid never saw a black person in her life. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was funny, you know. So in this area, uh, we don't have a lot of diversity. Of course, we know that already in Idaho. So what do you think? Uh, do you think the school system or the educational system should, should pay more attention to 
educating people about other countries, other continents, other cultures? Very good question. So for the governor who wanted to stop uh, international education and other people like him or her, I would say if you think education is not important, you try ignorance. Yes. So that's the, <laughs> that's the message um, for them. Um, now, this is the this is the problem, and why any great nation, not only any great, anybody in the world, should value international education. If you look at many institutions here in the U.S. now, in the past um, ten to twenty years, global studies, international studies have become one of the most important and one of the most popular. Uh, programs. So, but from the government perspective, whether state government or federal government or county governments, how can a superpower, a global leader like the U.S., lead the world <laughs> if you don't know the world you are leading? That's a good point. That's the problem. So, do you really want to continue to lead the world, maintain um, U.S. power in the world? Global education is absolutely a priority. So American citizens will, tra will be trained, and that's what we do in the Department of Global Studies and Languages, in the Department of History, in the Department of Political Science, Anthropology. Actually, any academic field must have elements of international education content. So then American students will graduate, have that cultural competent, have that multidisciplinary skills, have that knowledge of the world, to be able to continue leading the world, to contribute to humanity, to realize that a decent education, a global education, builds bridges between cultures and peoples. And that way, you appreciate your neighbor, those in the country, and those overseas. And global education is a pathway to peace, because then you realize that people in other regions of the world are human beings like you. Uh, they have emotions, they have needs, they are international actors, regional actors, national actors, domestic actors. And through that way, we have a more peaceful world. And, you know, education shares light into people's heads and minds and souls. So this is the values of international education in, in particular and you know education in general yeah. that's why people go to school that's correct so uh, in your opinion what do you think is the future of education in America lower the cost of education so that it's affordable which means a little more government funding um, provide scholarships for students um, emphasize international education, promote the liberal arts education. Yeah, science education is absolutely important, but you cannot realize the needs of science education without liberal arts education. Because there are certain things science cannot teach you. Uh, science can teach you science knowledge and make you become a robot. But a robot cannot, <laughs> <laughs> a robot without passion, yeah. Uh, without sense of community, without appreciation of fellow human beings, without human relations, uh, without even that compassion, 
if you are a doctor, without that human compassion to bring good to your community, to be happy when you see a sick person recover from illness, then I wonder the kind of doctor you are. So liberal education, I mean, you cannot overemphasize the importance of liberal education. Um, it is the soul of education and the heart of education. Wow. That's, that hit hard. I, it got me thinking. Uh, so you, you mentioned something about uh, lower cost of education. Uh, in your own opinion, uh, just your opinion, so this I have two scales in my mind right now. So we have lower education, mm -hmm. lower cost of education, and more scholarship. Mm -hmm. So if we are going to balance it out, in your opinion, which do you think is best? Lower cost of education or more scholarships? I think lower the cost of education. If it's affordable, then you don't really need the scholarships. Those of us from Africa, we are able to complete our undergraduate education and those who pursued graduate education we are able to do that because it's not as expensive as, as it is here. Yeah. No. So that's why many of us are educated. If that's it's true. as high as it's here, how many scholarship will you, scholarships will you give out to cover even 10% of those who, who are in need of education? Yeah. So. That got me thinking, though. You just mentioned something. I, I picked something from what you said. Uh, I, I think before President Trump became president, they did a census uh, to like statistics, and these the numbers came out that the Nigerians have Nigerians have more numbers of graduates in America mm -hmm. than even Americans. Mm -hmm. So, uh, does it mean Nigerians we love education more than the American people? Uh, because this is this is facts. <laughs> this is this is how I will in, I will interpret it. So. We have this joke that those who live close to the church don't go to church because they live close to the church and they think they can hear what the pastor is saying and uh, they don't really need to be inside the building to hear the voice of the pastor. So what I'm trying to say in essence is that there are so many educational opportunities here in the U.S. that it's true. people take it for granted. Uh, so if you go back to Nigeria, for instance, so you're looking at a country of 200 million people, but we don't have up to 200 universities and colleges. So the competition is so tough, so hard, that only a small number of those in need of college education are able to get in. So you feel frustrated, you feel that without any opportunity, your life is done. So for those who had opportunity to come out, they realize that, okay, remember where you come from. You can't miss this opportunity. You must take it now. And I feel it's the same thing with Africans from other African countries who studying in the U.S. Like I mentioned the library. One of the things that caught my eyes when I came to the Western world was how stocked with materials their libraries are. We don't have good libraries back at home. So if you really want to improve yourself, you love education, you are looking for opportunities, I think this is the mindset with which Africans come to the U.S. Then they pursue it. It's not only in education area. Look at those of them in sports, basketball, NBA, track and field, boxing. They are flourishing. Yeah. 
So, by the way, Nigeria is the highest exporter of intellectuals to the U.S. as university professors, high school, middle school teachers. Nigeria is also one of the highest exporters of medical doctors, nurses to the U.S., to Saudi Arabia, and to Kuwait. So, but the point I want to make is that these army of professionals don't have opportunities at home. So, but they have all these skills, yeah. they want to succeed, so they look for greener pastures overseas. And once you open that opportunity for them, they want to justify that they appreciate that opportunity to develop themselves. That's what they are saying. Yeah, yeah I think I, I agree with you. And uh, there's a saying that uh, nobody appreciates America more than an immigrant. Absolutely. Uh, we, we understand where we are getting because we know the struggle f from where we're coming from. Uh, years ago, I was having some financial troubles and someone asked me, why don't you just go back home? And I looked at him and I just smiled. <laughs> I was like, sir, we told you respect. <laughs> no matter how hard it, it is right now, it's better than where I'm coming from. Absolutely. So in other words, uh, America has more opportunities mm -hmm. and uh, more than we can dream of. All we have to do is just be hardworking mm -hmm. and show up and show what show your skills uh because uh, i've been in the job market for a while to understand that uh, uh employers are looking for skills mm -hmm. you know they want to see what you can do you know your handwork mm -hmm. or your, it's not just about your degree no you know a degree is just a paper uh, there's a saying that some people pass through school but school don't pass through them absolutely you know so uh i think this is a really great point and uh, also uh, i hope we have enough time uh, there's another part i would like us to hit a little bit mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, we're in Idaho, and uh, is, this is a state where we don't have a lot of diversity. And uh, every now and then, we have racial profiling. We have uh, issues of racism in the education system, uh, not just in the tertiary institution like ISU, uh, one in the middle schools, in the high schools. Uh, I believe this happens. Uh, I was talking to someone yesterday, and I asked this kid, uh, what school do you go to? She said she went to a middle school or a high school in Dubois, Dubois, Idaho. I think it's about an hour from here. And she never had a black person. There was no black person in the whole school. And that, I was like, wow. So you guys never had a black person. So I can imagine being a black person or a person of color. I mean, they had a lot of uh, people, Hispanic people uh, in that school. Was a person who was black going to an area like that, going to school, I could imagine what I will face. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, have you, in your in your years of experience, uh, have you experienced racism? It necessarily doesn't have to be in this location, uh, in the education system, and how were you able to, uh, you know, manage that situation? You know, um, this is the way I view the issue. Um, if you are a person of color, if you are especially a black person, the society in the U.S. seems to hold you at a higher standard. Hmm. So you have to prove, probably, um, that you can you are capable of um, an extraordinary achievement for you to be, um, you know, given, yeah, recognized and given that space to live. So um, this could be challenging, especially for the average person, the average black person. So this could be very challenging. 
Um, but you know, the Americans also say that there is nothing like total bad news. So in as much as it's challenging, it yeah. motivates you to work harder. Yeah. And good enough, the society recognizes recognizes hard work. So um, that's one thing I have to say. The other thing is this. Uh, this is Black History Month, right? So um, that's why international education, multicultural education, is very important because people live in different places, hidden communities that have not been able to encounter that yeah. um, experience with people from other cultures, from other nations, from all, you know, have that diversity. So that's why the nature of education is important. Now, I can also approach the question from the spiritual dimension. Having seen what I have seen in life and passed through different kinds of experiences relating to skin color differences, racial differences, um, I've come to the conclusion that racial profiling, uh, racial animosity, whatever you call it, is more than what we see. It is a spiritual problem. And at times I, 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 I've come to the belief that probably there's nothing anybody can do about it anymore. You, it's just human nature. It, it doesn't appear to me at this point that it will completely go away. It, it might, the, the tenacity might decrease. And probably, who knows, over time, but how long, we don't know. Maybe 50 years, 100 years, things will stabilize a little bit. But not soon, not tomorrow. So, not, not next year. So, it's a kind of spiritual problem. But the good news is that there are so many good people out there. So many good, heart-hearted human beings out there who truly love fellow human beings. So, it's only a small percentage of people, but that's all it takes to destroy a society. Small percentage of people. Do you, do you think uh, more education uh, could uh, reduce the level of racism in education? Absolutely. The right education, of course. Global education. Multicultural okay. education. That will create awareness. It, one thing I have found out here um, in the past 10 years, 12 years, is that those students who have been overseas, whether on mission or study abroad, yeah. they come back, they see you, they embrace you. They are so happy because they now know they have been to those regions of the world that they are, some of their countrymen don't even think exist. They have been there, lived there for months, lived there for years. They come back, they are like, wow. I now know better. So, that's the good news. We are getting there. <laughs> yeah, we are getting there. Yeah, we are getting there. It's one step at a time. Yes. Uh, anyways, uh, we don't have much time. Time is not on our side today. Uh, like, we, there's a saying in my language. Uh, I'll just translate it. It says, time waits for nobody. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, we're going to call it a day. Uh, we draw the curtain on this episode. And uh, we hope to be able to uh, maybe come back to pick your brain also in uh, future episodes. 
uh, because uh, one thing about this podcast is we are discussing every issue, mm-hmm. everything about life. Uh, I'm the wanderer. Uh, as a young man, uh, I'm not that. I'm not your age yet. I even think people of your age also, they don't know everything. No. You know, we still wonder, and uh, my my my, I have a great enthusiasm to find out. I am very inquisitive, so I want to know. And uh, we're gonna be, you know, in our subsequent uh, subsequent episode, we're gonna be discussing uh, other stuffs, other than education. And we're definitely gonna come back to education because uh, I, for one, I love education, and uh, I think uh, like we always told, apart from uh, prayer is the key. Education is the key also. Absolutely. And uh, we are fortunate that we have the key of education and we have the door in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, many countries are not that privileged to have those doors in their country. Uh, I think that's what made us migrate also, you know, because we want better life for ourselves and our families and, uh, you know, to inspire people also and make something out of our lives. And uh, once again, thank you very much, sir, for your time. And uh, it was awesome having you here today. And... Uh, I'm pretty sure the viewers out there will, uh, they will really appreciate this uh, when they get to see uh, this podcast. And uh, thank you very much, sir. Excellent. Thank you yeah. very much for having me. Um, thank you to Idaho. Thank you to America for having <laughs> us here. Thank you, America. <laughs> <laughs>